Hey everyone, my name is Lee. I want to add my welcome to Viv's. Thanks Hugh and thank you Lucy. Um, and sorry about that. I am mostly speaking on the Mark passage, so keep your Bibles open to that. Um, honestly, there is like a tiny link that I'm going to make to the Song of Songs passage, but it is there if you want to talk to me about it afterwards. Anyway, I'm going to get a little bit interactive tonight and I want you guys to be good sports. Um, morning church were great. So this is what I want you to do. I want you with your body to indicate whether you love something a lot or like loathe it and dislike it. And I want you to do that by like, if you hate the thing, then you like crouch in your chair. If you love it, you can like reach up really high. Um, there were people standing on chairs this morning. Just want to put it out there. So, you know, um, so we'll have a practice, practice time. Um, the first thing is pineapple on pizza. So if you love pineapple on pizza, hands in the air, like, I feel like that's a bit over the top. Now, if you're like me and you hate it, then just like... We have issues. Um, all right, next thing is plants. Give me some... Nice, nice. Plant... Yes, Amelia. Come on. Love it. Um, coffee. This is good. This is good. Um, all right. Reading books. Reading. Oh, there's some groans. Wow. It's good. Okay. Nice. Wow. There were some people who couldn't get lower if it was possible. Um, What har harpeggi? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, what about school? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Okay. Um, now, end of end of the interaction. Um, I could get more controversial though. I want not. I don't want anyone to stand up. But, like, if I said our government, right, that would be pretty awkward, potentially. Um, or, like, if I named, like, a controversial policy or, or something like that. Um, or even if I said all saints, um, there might be a bit of a range there. I don't assume that, like, you know, everyone loves um, coming along or finds the things that we do always um, the best. Um, or it could make it really awkward and be, like, the person sitting on your left. Um, <laughs> It's when, like, it's good. All right. But if I asked you, do you really love Jesus? I reckon that's a tough question to answer. Um, and it may strike up a bit of emotion for some of you. How precious is Jesus to you? Do you really love Jesus? Do you adore him like you used to? And how do you know? Well, they're the sort of questions that this event in Mark's biography of Jesus' life raises. And they're crucial questions because they get to the heart of what Christianity is all about, a relationship with God. 
A Christian isn't someone who just agrees to a set of beliefs or ticks a bunch of religious boxes throughout their week, but someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus. So how do we know that we love Jesus? We're going to take a closer look at this meal that happens, um, which is just a little bit before Jesus' death. And everything in this passage is actually pointing to Jesus' death. Um, So look at verse 1. You can in your Bibles, it's on the screen. Um, Readers of Mark's biography would know that Jesus died during the Passover and Unleavened Bread festivals. He died as the ultimate Passover sacrificial lamb to free people from the chains of sin. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were meant to be helping God's people remember the great Exodus redemption event um, and what that meant for them. That it meant that they were now God's people. They were a saved people who God had called and made his own. But in verse 1, these leaders are the very ones plotting to kill Jesus. And at the end of the passage, in verses 10 to 11, Judas, one of Jesus' closest followers, for small change, is more than happy to have Jesus taken away and killed. And we've heard this, right? Judas betrays Jesus. Cool. But it really is shocking. Someone that close to Jesus, who would have regularly talked with him, ate with him, walked with him, lived with him, would have heard his amazing teachers, seen him do countless miraculous things, seen the compassion he had towards people. He saw it all. And still, Judas's heart was more captured by a bit of worldly wealth. But in verse 8, shining in the darkness of the hate-filled and greedy people plotting Jesus' death, there is a light. And fittingly, It comes off the back of International Women's Day um, this week. It's a woman who is also preparing for Jesus' death, his burial, but is doing so filled with love and gratitude. Now, does she know that Jesus is going to die? Well, John has the same account in his biography. I mean, he identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She's the one found hanging on Jesus' words, every word, while her sister Martha is busy um, in the home. Much like the disciples who were distracted a lot of the time, but Mary was attentive. Um, Mary also saw Jesus raise her dead brother to life. And Jesus has said several times to many people, that he will die and rise again. And so I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that quiet and attentive Mary trusts Jesus, knows his betrayal and death are around the corner, and in stark contrast, expresses love and gratitude, which forces us to wonder about our love for Jesus and what his death means for us. How do we know we really love Jesus? Well, the first thing Mary helps us see is that everything else loses its worth. He is so much more precious to her than this alabaster jar of perfume. And we're told it's very expensive. It's worth 
more than a year's wages. And yet she casually breaks it open and pours it on Jesus. You know, it's something you'd find or imagine a toddler doing. Finding the most expensive and precious item in your house and just breaking it. Or burying it in the backyard or swallowing it or something. Never to be found again. Or like a teenager who's just got their peas and they take their parents' $100,000 BMW for a spin and they crash it. This is reckless and wasteful. Those present at this meal are furious and rebuke her harshly. You idiot. You moron. Think about what we could have done to help the poor with that sort of money. Imagine the difference we could have made. I'm pretty sure we might think like that too. It is a lot. But Jesus, he steps in and defends her. He defends how much she adores him. She, Jesus is worth more to her than the most valuable thing in her life, this perfume. And maybe she trusted Jesus' words. Trusted that Jesus' death would be worth so much more, worth more than anything else, worth more even to the poor than all the riches in the world. Maybe she knew that or trusted that. But you know what? We know that he is. Jesus isn't saying don't care for the poor, but there's something more. There's something more precious that we all need, and that's him. That's his death and resurrection. You need to think about the security that having such an expensive item would have provided Mary. It would have been passed down to her, um, and maybe she was meant to pass it down to her daughter. It had sentimental value. Um, But also, maybe she was meant to save it for her husband, for their honeymoon. Maybe it symbolically kept alive her hope of being married one day. This jar was worth so much to Mary. It held hope, it held security, it was worth a ton. But a key line in this whole story is in verse 8. She did what she could. To Jesus, it didn't really matter that it was worth so much. Remember how just a chapter earlier he praises the widow who gives two small copper coins? Nothing. But she was giving her all. She was giving all she could. The point is Mary gave all she could because Jesus was her everything. She breaks it. She shatters it. It was trash in her eyes compared to Jesus. It had no value. All the worth that that perfume held was nothing compared to Jesus. And she wanted to show that. But also, maybe she saw the perfume as a threat. It sat there. And it did offer hope, but a false hope, a worldly temporary security, sentimental value, but... Nothing like the sure hope and eternal security and lasting value that Jesus spoke of and that his death and resurrection promised. For Mary, it, it, 
It was something that had the potential to take Jesus' place in her life. And so she emptied it on Jesus. Um, Jared Wilson, a Christian author reflecting on this passage, asks, what needs to break in your life so you see the preciousness of Jesus? What needs to be taken away from you? And sometimes God does that. What is it in our lives, in your life, that promises you so much, that gives you so much hope and security? Is it your job, your home, your body, your grades at school? What is it? They don't compare to Jesus, but we hang on to them, don't we? Maybe we need to break that thing, shatter that thing in our lives and say, no, I love Jesus more. I won't let this thing even have a sniff at competing with Jesus in my life. We know we love Jesus when everything else loses its value or begins to lose its value in the presence of Jesus. And secondly... Everyone else fades into the background. There was a solid group at this meal. Um, the 12 disciples were there at least, but there were probably a few others. But to Mary, it's almost like they don't even exist. All she sees is Jesus. She comes in. She's not waiting for approving nods from those there. She doesn't run her idea by them. Do you think it's a good idea? She just does it. The reason I had Song of Songs read for us is because what Mary does, filling a room with perfume, expensive perfume, pouring it on Jesus from head to toe, treating him as a king, yes, recognizing he is the Messiah, yes, but we're told in John's account that she lets down her hair. It is more than a little scandalous. But the point is, she doesn't care. She doesn't care how others interpret her actions. And we know we love Jesus when that happens. When the opinions of others don't matter, or matter very little, or are beginning to matter less. And what Jesus thinks about us means everything. When was the last time... You cared about what Jesus thought of you. When what Jesus says about you rendered others' opinions powerless. Um, I remember maybe eight years ago or something when my oldest Dustin was a little baby crawling around. Um, I embarrassed Briny a lot because I was just following him through this play- playground, crawling around on like all fours. And I didn't care. I didn't care what anyone else thought. And she took a photo, and it is very embarrassing. Um, but I didn't care. And it's kind of like that. But with Jesus, I feel like more often than not, I care too much about what other people think, how my actions will be perceived by others. I'm looking for approving nods. When I sing praises to Jesus, even here at church, I have to keep telling myself, Lee, who cares what you sound like? Who cares what you look like? 
when I share my faith or talk about Jesus, I find I can be so hypersensitive to how each word and phrase might be taken that it stops me. The thing is, Jesus values our wasteful devotion over our precision or precise wisdom or sensible serving or giving. Jesus sees our heart and he loves the love that prompts our acts of devotion, not the human wisdom behind them. The measured and sensible Christian life really doesn't make sense. Why? Because the love that Jesus showed us wasn't measured or sensible. Have a look at these passages from 1 John. In 2.2, John says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And in 3.1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. This isn't sensible, measured love. This is extravagant. And so thirdly, we know we love Jesus when our lives preach Jesus' love. This moment, preach the gospel. This breaking of the perfume and pouring it on Jesus, preach the gospel. And Jesus knew it. Look at verse 9. He knew her extravagant love would point people all over the world to the gospel. Jesus died and poured out his life and took the sin of the whole world, everyone, not just those who would accept him, but for the Judases of this world. It's beyond extravagant. Who cares what other people think? Do you know what Jesus thinks of you? He broke everything for you. He spared nothing. He held no love back from you and me. Do you know how much you are loved? Do you know that he's forgiven everything? Mary's extravagant act of love makes perfect sense because it mirrors the more extravagant love, the Son of God, broken and poured out for you and me on the cross. And her life was remembered for that. It pointed to Jesus' love. It preached it. Does mine... Does yours, is that what you'll be remembered for? We know we love Jesus when everyone and everything else is less in our hearts and when our lives mirror that love. And lastly, we know we love Jesus when we celebrate merry moments. I think a good way to tell if our love for Jesus isn't mere habit, not that there's anything wrong with habit, just mere habit or empty religion, is to notice how we respond when others show Jesus extravagant love and adoration. Do we rejoice or judge? The reason I thought of this takes me back to um, a time when I went to Tanzania and I was meeting many poor Christians who, who gave their all. Their impact wasn't huge on a global scale, um, but they were giving all they had, all of themselves. And honestly, there was part of me that thought, 
this over-the-top generosity is a little bit foolish. And I had to check my heart. These people were showing so much gratitude and love for Jesus. They're loving the people Jesus has told them to love with such extravagance. And here is me looking down on them, probably because I hold to things in this world so much more tightly than they do. But when I rebuked myself and I saw their heart for Jesus, I was so encouraged. I saw something beautiful. I was able to rejoice in a beautiful thing done for Jesus, the Jesus I also love. So I should delight in those moments when people pour out so much for him because I love Jesus. Sometimes what we do at church can be so structured and strategic, and to some extent it has to be. We as a church together can only do a limited amount. The ministry team can only coordinate so much, but we want to encourage the over-the-top and extravagant. We don't want to stop you from expressing your love for Jesus in your life the way that you want to. We want to be a place where Mary moments can happen and do happen, where the Marys in our church can express their love for Jesus, even if it seems wasteful or embarrassing, where this becomes the culture in our church, that stories about it are shared, where wasteful, reckless expressions of love and gratitude for Jesus and his death aren't minimized or pushed into a dark corner, but made much of. Because to Jesus, they're beautiful things. He wants the spotlight on them. I'm going to finish with a quote from Ray Ortland, um, commenting on Philippians 3, another passage, but um, he makes a really good point. He says, Paul himself was like this. He discovered in Jesus a treasure so rich that he took all his hard-won life achievement awards and junked them in order to have Jesus. And then he looked at that pile of earthly prizes there in the dumpster, threw his head back and laughed. And this is quoting Philippians 3, 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ. Let me pray this for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that for his sake, we would suffer the loss of all things and count them as nothing in order that we may gain Christ. In his name, amen.